Hi everyone, a very good day or good evening to you, depending on the time you tune in to this podcast. This is Pastor Jason and welcome back to our devotions on the Gospel of John. Now today we're going to look at John chapter 2 verses 1 to 11. Now if you are seated somewhere comfortable and you have your Bible with you, do turn to this chapter, chapter 2 verses 1 to 11. However, if you are driving or you are jogging, you can just listen in. Now I'm going to read these 11 verses. John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding twenty or thirty gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water now became wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. Now this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. Let us pray. Lord our God, guide our hearts as we devote ourselves today to the understanding of your word. Lord, may you speak to us and help us to discern your will and give us the grace to obey you and to do what you will. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now imagine that you are the bride or the bridegroom of your own wedding. And halfway through dinner, you discovered that the waiters uh, are actually not refilling the glasses of your guests anymore. You ask around and the head waiter whispered in your ear that the wine and the soft drinks have run out. Now how would you feel? What would you do? I believe the bridegroom here in this uh, story today that we have read about must have been feeling quite anxious. You know, having no wine to serve the guests was really quite embarrassing given the culture of the day. Now, during the time of Jesus, wedding feasts can run for as long as seven days. And this would usually mean quite a heavy financial resource burden on the family. Now, the guests would often come with gifts, even gifts of wine. And it seems like for this family, they were not well-to-do, uh, not quite well-to-do, since the wine ran out or perhaps there were just too many people uh, than anticipated. In any case, this was considered deep embarrassment for the bridegroom, who usually was primarily responsible for a well-supplied banquet. Now, Mary seemed to be at least a close friend of the bridegroom. 
going by the way she commanded the servants of the family. So the bridegroom could have asked for help, and Mary remembered that there's this miracle worker in the house, and therefore asked Jesus, you know, her, her son, for help. Jesus was reluctant to do so, and he gave the reason for it. However, for some reasons, which we will discuss later, Jesus finally relented and performed a sign to fill six water jars. And we are told that each was about 30 gallons, that's about 100 over litres. And Jesus then told the servants to take some of this wine for the master of the feast to taste. Now, who is this master of the feast? Now, this guy, this master of the feast, had an important job. He was both the head server and master of ceremonies. And his primary responsibility was to make sure, together with the bridegroom, that the guests had enough to eat and to drink. And if he does a good job on it, he might be rewarded with a wreath at the end of the festivities. And this wreath is important because if he's doing this as a, as a day job, you know, as a full-time job, he needs all these awards in order to get recommendations for his services again. So after the master of the feast tasted the wine, we are told that he seemed to marvel that the bridegroom had kept the good wine even until now. And the author of the gospel then informed us that this was the first of Jesus' signs. And the purpose was actually to manifest his glory. Now, if you are to look at this passage as a whole, who do you think are the main characters in this passage? Who are the supporting cast? Now, under normal circumstances, the bride and the bridegroom should be the stars of the story, since it was their wedding. However, if you notice, the bride was not mentioned at all. And the bridegroom didn't even get to say a single word, at least in the recording of this gospel. Now, the wedding at Cana is served as a background to John's focus on two much more important characters, at least to him, and that would be Jesus and Mary. So the main characters were Jesus and Mary, while the supporting cast, they were actually master of the feast, the bridegroom, the servants, and of course, the disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, why do I want to bring this up at this moment in time? You see, understanding who the main characters are in a narrative like this is very important. This is so that we can focus on what the author is truly trying to highlight. You know, instead of uh, reading the text, you know, out of context or trying to do applications uh, based on the wrong focus that we are having out of the text. For example, if we, if we think that the master of the feast is one of the main characters, we might end up interpreting that the main idea of this passage is that God always gives the best to his children, or that the people of God should be uh, more generous, which is really not the case, which is really not the focus here. Rather, the main focus is on Jesus and Mary's relationship and the interesting conversation that they have had. With this as a context, let us look at the first uh, few verses. And verse 3 to 5 says this, When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. 
And Jesus responded to Mary, says this, you know, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now what a strange conversation. And some of you might think that Jesus was actually being rude to call his mother woman. And it sounded as if Jesus was uh, a bit, a little bit angry that Mary had asked him to do something he didn't actually want to do. However, allow me to explain that when Jesus called Mary woman, which in the Greek is gunai, it was in no way an insult to her. Now, why is this so? Now, firstly, at that time, it was really a respectful way of addressing women in general, like how we use the word ladies. Secondly, it was an indication, right? It was an indication uh, by John in this gospel that it was an indication of the beginning of Jesus' public ministry on earth. And there needs to be this indication that there's a change in the relationship between Mary and Jesus. Because Jesus uh, was then coming into the public space, declaring the kingdom of God as the Messiah of everyone. And this includes being Mary's Messiah. Now, Jesus' divine mission on earth in the gospel was actually the focus and not so much as the parental relationship between Mary and Jesus. Now, not that their relationship as mother and son wasn't important, but it was not to be the priority. And we can know about this through other places in the Bible. For example, in Luke chapter 8, verse 21, Jesus said that his mother and his brothers are those who hear the word of God and thus it. Now, given this context, what Mary was asking of at Cana concerned Jesus' public ministry, which was not really Mary's domain, you know, uh, as his biological mother. Now, in less subtle words, it was really none of Mary's business. It was between Jesus the Son and God the Father. Therefore, Jesus' response to Mary. Jesus felt that it wasn't time to be involved in such a manner or in such a matter. Thirdly, Jesus' address of Mary as woman sets the stage where Jesus' mission on earth is concerned, Jesus' obedience is only to God the Father and not to his biological parents. And this is consistent with how he taught the disciples that those who truly follow Jesus must not put even parental or spousal relationships as over and above God's relationship with us. Granted, right, when Jesus, um, when we read in the other Gospels, we, uh, there was talk about Jesus in the temple when he was just a boy. And he was being, and when he was being asked to follow the parents back home, he did so out of reverence for the parents. But now there comes this time where it's time for Jesus to go out to the public space to proclaim the kingdom of God. And here, John is showing us in the gospel that his obedience from henceforth is only to God the Father. And this is being emphasized time and again, not just in this gospel, but in the other gospels as well. Therefore, Jesus said, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. 
And Jesus' hour possibly refers to the time where he would suffer, be crucified and died to atone for all of our sins. Jesus was saying that the time to reveal himself as the Messiah has not yet arrived. Nevertheless, despite of Jesus' misgivings, he finally relented. And of course, the big question is why? Now, if you look at the passage carefully, we are not entirely sure what transpired after Mary told the servants to do whatever Jesus told them to. It seemed to be a short enough time for the bridegroom not to be embarrassed by a you know, white uh, outcry or the public discovery that there was no more wine. Now, Jesus could have relented because of Mary's faith. If we read the text carefully, we can see that Mary asked the favour, but she did not persist that Jesus must do something. She simply told the servants to do as Jesus commanded. It seems that she was of the faith that whatever Jesus, the Messiah, chose to do, it will be for the best. And possibly, Jesus chose to honour that kind of faith. And Jesus could have also relented because such a miracle would not really mess up the grand scheme of things. So the sign being done was not publicly announced through the disciples and servants, you know, even though the disciples and the servants knew about it. And in, dash, in addition, the miracle could also be used to further the kingdom of God, as I will explain. Let us now go to verses 6 to 11. Now, verses 6 to 11 says this. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, You know, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Now what is this Jewish rites of purification all about? Now, if you recall, in the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 11, and especially verse 44, it says that do not make yourself unclean, right? Now, this commandment was subsequently interpreted within the Jewish community as the need to clean oneself before and after a meal, among other things. The water used for such washing is not to be used for any other purposes. And that explains why they you know, there were all these water jars at the wedding. Now, in some ways, these water jars represented Jewish religious ideals. But these are to be replaced or interpreted. They are to be replaced with Jesus' new wine, or rather to be replaced with Jesus himself as the living water, the light, the truth, the way, and the life. In other words, the Old Testament commandments, the prophecies, the rituals, the festives pointed to Christ because he had come to interpret and fulfill them. 
And in subsequent chapters, we can get some uh, affirmation of this because you will see that more of such replacement teams where Jesus replaced Jewish feasts and religious beliefs with himself. For example, such as the temple, right? And therefore, worshippers who follow Jesus, we'll read this, right? Who follow Jesus are to worship in spirit and in truth and not in any temple, whether in Jerusalem or Mount Gerizim. Now, in this way, the sign of turning water into wine is the first of signs because it sets the tone for a series of other signs to follow where Jewish religious institutions or feasts or even the Old Testament or the commandments are to be interpreted correctly with who Jesus is and how he has come to explain it and what he has come to do. Therefore, the sign of turning water into wine manifested Jesus' glory because it pointed to Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah, and not because it demonstrated that Jesus would give a hundredfold of material goods. That is not the point at all. And therefore, we have this... Um, little statement, which is a very important statement by the disciples, which says that, therefore, the disciples believed in him. Right? They believed in him because through these signs, he had shown himself that he is truly the Christ, the Messiah. Now, from this study, there are two major learning points, which I believe we can learn and reflect for the rest of the day. Now, firstly, the passage tells us that Jesus' mission and relationship with God the Father supersede his relationship with Mary as parent. Therefore, those who choose to follow Jesus Christ ought to imitate him in this. We are to put our relationship with God as a priority above anything else. Now, this is not a call for us to break any kind of parental or spousal relationship or even friendship. Rather, it is a call for us to have a kingdom perspective of all the kinds of relationship that we are having right now. For example, in terms of our relationship with our spouse, are we mutually submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ? In terms of friendships, are we loving? Are we being loving? Are we being patient with one another because of God's grace and love for us? In terms of uh, parents and children, you know, and child relationship, are we as children, you know, treating our parents with, um, with a kind of uh, understanding the authority that has been given to them to help us, to guide us, to love us? The second learning point is that being the first of many signs, the wedding at Cana sets the pattern of Jesus' subsequent signs. Many of the signs and conversations that follow revealed to the people, including ourselves, the readers, that Jesus was there to rightly interpret or replace Jewish religious institutions and ideals. So other than the Jewish purification rites, later on we will read about uh, definitely the temple as well and many other things also. Now from these two main ideas, we can also ask ourselves the following reflection questions. 
You know, you can use these questions in your conversations with the Lord for the rest of the week until the next podcast. You can also use the podcast in your DGs for further discussions. Now, the first question will be this. Is there a time in our life when we are forced to choose between our relationship with God and our relationship with our parents or siblings or someone very dear to us? What happened? What did you do? How can you do better? Number two, the second question. The signs that Jesus demonstrated in the Gospels point to his divinity and purpose. In your own journey with God, are there signs where you believe that God has given to you? If so, what are these? How have these encouraged you in your own walk with God? And in your own situation right now, as you recall about all these things, is it helping you to cope, perhaps with a difficult time, even currently, at the moment? Now with this, we come to the end of the podcast and I hope that you have enjoyed meditating on the Word of God. May the Lord continue His grace and His love in you for the rest of the day and may you be strengthened to abide in His presence always. Amen. Amen.